mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Mark, chapter 14, and we're going to be beginning this morning in verse 27. If you'll remember, they were in the upper room. They had celebrated Passover, the final Passover, because Jesus is the Passover lamb. And then he instituted communion, the new covenant. It's the, the tenet that the church now does as often as we do this in memorial or remembrance of Christ because he's coming back to take us home one day. So we remember all things that he's done. And then they sang a, a hymn. They, they sung a song and probably um, the Halle L. Psalm of 118, Psalms 118. They say that they sung uh, uh, during the uh, Passover celebration, they would sing it's from Psalms 113 all the way through 118. I don't know that, but that's what they say traditionally was done. And then we have um, 1427 of Mark. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Notice this verse, and they all said likewise. Then they came to the place which was called or named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. 
And when he returned, he found them sleeping again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Was I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust you. That you're faithful even when we're faithless because you cannot deny yourself. Thank you that we have been told as your friends what things are going to happen and that we can rest. We can rest in you. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he obediently went to the cross. Thank you, Lord, that he obeyed you and has now set us free to follow you. Pour out your spirit and help us to glean down the corridors of time what would help us for our life today. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your plan? Do you have a plan? I talked about this last week. No plan is Satan's plan. If your plan is to get the most toys and win, if your plan is what the American dream is, then that's Satan's plan because the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. But listen to me. Jesus Christ is God's plan. Hearing his voice and following him is God's plan. It's his plan for salvation. It's his plan for deliverance from the sin nature. It's his plan that we would not be deceived by the wicked one. What plan are you following today in your life? Are you trying to make it on your own? Are you chasing what the world would have? Or are you looking to find the will of God for your life? These are the things that can be settled in the text this morning. We see Judas chasing after 30 pieces of silver. That's his plan for his life. And he betrays the Christ. Literally, he planned that. You know what's interesting is Peter and the boys, they didn't plan on denying Christ. 
They were set in their hearts they weren't going to deny Christ. They were set they were going to make it. But you know what they did? They relied on their own strength. They didn't rely upon the word of God. The power of God, the truth of God, the way of God, the will of God, the plan of God. They tried to do it in their own strength, and they fell. What's your plan today? Because there's a deceiver out there that wants to deceive us. And if he can't keep you from saying, I believe in Jesus, then he wants to keep you from following him according to God's will for your life. Because then it becomes a messed up, confusing witness and testimony to the rest of the people in the courtroom watching. It's like, well, their story don't line up. They're saying one thing, but they're doing another. Their testimony doesn't agree with how they're living. Because they try to do it in their own strength, in their own power, in their own might. But when we surrender to the will of God, as we see as the example of Christ in the garden, even when he knows it's death, we see the plan of God and the path of God so that we can have the provision of God added to our life. Let's look. They sang the hymn. They went out the Mount of Olives. I could talk much more about the Mount of Olives. He was there a lot. But verse 27 says, Then Jesus said to them, Are you one of them? Are you listening for his voice? Are you looking intently at him so when he speaks you know what he's saying? Or are you looking everywhere else anxiously about you for answers for this life? So important right now. Not tomorrow. It's so important right now to have a living, active faith that's looking for and listening to the voice of God so that you can be led through what is coming. Because it's getting ready to get really bad on the planet. Think about it. These boys, we're looking back on what's getting ready to happen. They have no idea what's getting ready to happen. Even though he's been telling them for how many chapters, for how long, for three and a half years, he's warned them that they're going to arrest him and betray him and beat him and crucify him and that he's going to raise again. But they're still so caught up in their own selves that they don't get what's getting ready to happen any moment. They just celebrated, yeehaw, Passover. They don't understand. They just watched Judas go out and they think Judas has went out to get some more supplies. And he's went to get a whole detachment of troops. And God has been telling them all along what's going to happen. Yet their ears are not hearing it because they're still in the flesh. And that's much of the church today. We're looking and living and listening in the flesh. And we say, I know Jesus. But we're not hearing. And he wants to tell his friends everything that's getting ready to happen. But our ears are so much more attuned to everything else that's going on. Instead of getting alone and hearing the voice of God. The word of God. The plan of God. The way of God that will lead us into eternity with God. These guys have no idea what's getting ready to happen. 
even though God has told them. And that's the way Christianity is today. Even though God has clearly told us about one world government, clearly told us about the things that's getting ready to happen when one world economy, one world religion, one world government, and that there's going to be a great deception, and he's warned us not to be deceived. I talk to people every day, and they think life is going to be as normal. They say that with Joe Biden as president, all they're going to do is return to the politics of yesterday. All they're going to do is start really doing the same thing they've always done. Really? Is that really what's going to happen? No, it's not what's happening at all. They're going to try to convince you to be so afraid that you take a vaccine that will hurt you. It's not going to help you. They want us all to be marching in the same place. They're going to shut us down. They're going to put us back in our houses. They're not going to let you move freely. They're going to, they're going to destroy all small businesses. We're, we're living in a communist regime already where the whole lies come across your TV and they won't let truth come across. And that's why it's so important that right now, Instead of everything else we're chasing to entertain our flesh, that we be watching and praying, lest we be deceived, lest we enter into temptation to follow some other voice. Because isn't that what happens to the boys? Think about it. When Jesus meets them later on the road to Emmaus, they go, we thought he was the Messiah. So they're actually tempted to believe that he wasn't the Messiah, that he wasn't God's provision because of the things that happened because they weren't listening when they should have been listening. They weren't obeying when they should have been obeying. And so on the other side of it, they're like, we thought he was the Messiah. Haven't you heard all the things that happened? And, and, and we don't know now because he's dead. And he's standing right there with them, talking to them, reasoning with them from the scriptures again. And they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him because they were so offended by him. Are you offended by Christ? Oh, be careful. Are you offended by Christ? Are you offended by what he's doing in your life? See, that's what the word is here in 27. All of you. Jesus is already telling them what's going to happen. All of you will be offended because of me this night. Listen, that word stumble there is the word offended. It's scandalon in the Greek. It means to made to stumble, made to fall away, made to apostate. It means it's going to shake their faith in such a huge way. In fact, after Jesus had called them to himself to follow him, they go away and go fishing again. They went back to worldly pursuits. They were so offended because Jesus didn't do what they had been taught he was going to do. Remember, they had been taught 
that Jesus was going to set up his earthly rule. We see uh, 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 the, the boys come and go, can I sit at your right hand and him at your left? We see all of these things where they've been lied to by the ruling authorities, by the teachers of the day. They had been deceived into thinking that he was getting ready to set up his kingdom and all roads would lead to Jerusalem again, just like they did in the days of Solomon. So their eyes were in the wrong place. Instead of listening to truth, listening to what he was saying to them, they were deceived into believing what man said. So important as we look on the landscape of today. The landscape not of America. See, everybody in America is looking at America and the gospel through the eyeglasses of America. This is a world. This is world. The whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. Jesus died for the whole world, for every soul. This is not about our selfish, little, stinking, entertaining American dream. This is about your soul. And if we don't get this, we're going to wander off in apostasy and never see the kingdom of God. It's so important. There's so much going on. The author of confusion, the devil, wants you to chase everything going on instead of listening to the still small voice of God. And cast your cares upon him. All. He tells them clearly that all will be made to stumble. All will be offended because of me this night. Man. What if God told you that today? Before tonight's over, you're all going to be offended. How much is all? All is 11 of them because Judas has already went out. He's speaking to 11 of them. Remember that? Judas has already went out. He's not there anymore. And then where does he point? This stuff isn't being made up as it happens. It's already written. He says, for it is written. Well, where is it written at? Look, he quotes scripture. He quotes Zechariah 13, 7 in part because some of it happens at a different time, but some of it is happening now. I will. Who's I? This is written 450 years earlier. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Speaking of all of Israel, they're going to be scattered. Speaking of maybe just the eleven. But there's more that are the sheep. Let's look at Zechariah. Let's see what Zechariah says. The next to the last book of the Old Testament. It says a lot of things that I will not be able to expound upon now. But just this one verse that comes after verse 6. Isn't that amazing how the number line works? I don't know if you know, but it says, and many believe this is referring to Jesus. What are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer those which, with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Referring to the scars in his palms of his hands. But listen to what verse 7 says. More importantly, let's look at and understand. It's, it's Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword against my shepherd it's a prophet telling us it's how god spoke in old times against the man who is my 
companion, King James's fellow, says the Lord of hosts. Who's speaking here? Whose voice? It's God speaking through the prophet. He says to awake. Let me look at it. Let me look. Let's look. Awake means the idea of opening the eyes, to lift up, to stir up the sword. Well, what's a sword for? It's for war. It's for destruction. It's a knife. It's an instrument for cutting. So wake up, sword. Speaking of affliction. Speaking of the cross and judgment against who? My shepherd. God's shepherd. Christ in John 10 is called the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. The, uh, um, what's the third one? The good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and uh, anybody know? I don't remember it either, so. I apologize. Oh, the, 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 the chief, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and the chief shepherd. That's what it is. And then look what it says. Against the man. See, God became man. He's the God man. The sword is being, to wake up the sword against my shepherd, against the man, the God man, who is my, and it says companion in the, king, the new King James. But the King James is the fellow. And it's a strange word, fellow. It means my associate or my comrade or my companion, my kindred. It really has the connotation of being my co-equal. They're the same because the three are one. Christ considered it not robbery to be equal with God. Because he was God in the flesh. He was the God-man, says the Lord of hosts. And then it says what he quoted. Strike the shepherd. You know, more correctly, he's betrayed, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's falsely accused, and he's nailed to a cross for the sins of the world. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. They're going to run. They're going to flee. They're going to be afraid because now they have no one to tell them what to do. And then it says, then I will turn my hand against the little ones. Isn't that interesting? King James says, upon the little ones. And there's two ways to look at this, and I believe we can look at it both ways. Upon or against is that because there's going to be a choice to be made. You're a little one, little born-again ones, and you choose Jesus, and then you have all the power of heaven on your side to help you. But if you don't choose Jesus, then you are one of the enemies of the cross, and God's hand will be against you for all of eternity. So you have that decision before you. After the shepherd is, is struck... And he goes to the cross. The sheep will be scattered. But then we'll have a decision to make when he raises again. He quotes this text. 450 years. Notice that Jesus never does nothing without scriptural reference. Notice that he's always pointing to what is written. Notice that God has already said it's going to happen. It's not a surprise. 
and he tells them everything. He tells them the plan. He tells them what they should do. But see, Jesus is in close, intimate fellowship with God. And that's what he calls you and I to be doing, to have close, intimate fellowship with him so that we can be prepared for tomorrow's battles, so that we, this will not take us by surprise. It doesn't change your emotions. It doesn't change the way you feel. It doesn't change the pain and suffering. It doesn't change your, your desire to do it. But it changes your eternity. Even with Jesus here in a minute in Gethsemane, we're going to see that his flesh doesn't want to do it, but he chooses the Spirit and he obeys the will of God. And we're actually told that he learned perfect obedience through the things that he suffered. And that's a plan for you and me to learn our faith, to learn to obey through deciding to choose the Spirit and not our emotions. Not the way we feel, not what we think the world is doing, but choose what God's word tells us to choose by faith and follow the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, things are going to happen in life and you're going to be offended and think, I didn't think God was going to do that. Many people right now on the planet are thinking that God's not going to do this. But there's Christians being nailed shut in their churches in Sudan right now, burnt alive. And we go, oh, no, God's not going to do this to us. America will never fail. Didn't the boys say that about Jerusalem? And then in AD 70, it was burnt to the ground. God is still good. He's good because he tells us beforehand. He tells us. He helps us. He's preparing us. Now, I'm not telling you that we're not going to go to heaven in the pre-tribulation wrath, or uh, pre-tribulation uh, rapture. That's what I firmly believe, that I'm leaving. But do you think that during the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, when, when righteous Lot was there with his family, that, that before all of that happened, when God had to come down and find out if the testimony was true, and if you're reading through the Bible, you've just read this, that he had to come down and find out, do you think that nothing bad was happening in that city to people? God came down to judge them because of all the debauchery, because of all the deception, because of all the things that were going on. And he did deliver righteous lot out. He did deliver Lot and anybody of his family that wanted to go and that would not look back. Because his wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. So we may go through much persecution. We may go through many things. All of these guys were killed for their faith. They were true martyrs. That's what the word witness means, is a martyr. It's one who dies for their faith. It's the word martis. All of them died for their faith. All of them died and went to the grave, trusting God for salvation, but they were some heads cut off. In fact, I think John is the only one that didn't, and he, they tried to kill him. They threw him off the pinnacle. They boiled him in oil, and then they cast him out to the island of Patmos where he stayed there till he was elderly, and he ended up going back, they say, to Ephesus and being the pastor at Ephesus at a good old age.
And I think we see John in this text as the young boy that was naked watching on, but I'm not sure. Many say it was John Mark. Who knows? It could have been anybody that heard the ruckus in the garden and went out and looked. Could have been you that was naked and you needed to be further clothed. I will, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What is my plan? What will I do? I, we, we trust you to be. We're offended by this. Look what Jesus says. Here's the plan. But there's a contrast here. Things are going to happen. The world's getting ugly. But you still have God on your side. He's still our hope. The president is not the hope of the church. The president is not the hope of the world. Jesus is. And he's told us his plan. He's told us all things. After this, after I've been struck, after the cross, there's an after. This is the in-between to decide whether you're going to after be cast into hell or live with Jesus for eternity where we can rule and reign in the millennial kingdom with him. I have been raised, look, he specifically speaks of resurrection. After I stand up again, he's specifically speaking of the cross. That's what he's talking about. I will strike the shepherd. They flee because they're afraid they're going to get struck. But God protects them, doesn't he? Are you running scared today because of the things in the world? Are you afraid of COVID? Are you running scared because of what the world is lying about? Because of what the world is doing? Listen, we stand on a rock. We have a firm foundation. We have a firm soul that's been saved so we can follow Jesus and give testimony. We do not have to be afraid. Now listen, listen, I don't want you to freak out. We're allowed to become afraid. We're allowed to be anxious. We're allowed to have these emotions that go, oh my goodness, our world is being shaken. But we don't stay there. We go, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't follow these emotions. I want to follow truth. And God's already told me that he's got me, that he saved me, that I'm covered in the blood, that I'm going to get to the other side no matter what they do. And the other side is the goal. The finish line is the goal. It's not something to be dreaded. It's something to look forward to and to hope for. That is our blessed hope. How many times do people run a race in, 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 in Olympics? Do you think they're dreading getting to the finish line? No, they want to be the first to get across it. Why do we dread getting across the finish line? Why do we not want to be first? And best is first, right? Should we not want that? Should we not understand to die is Christ, but to live is gain? Or to live is Christ and to die is gain? See, our faith has been shipwrecked. We've been offended that God hasn't done what we've been told he was going to do, but we've been told by liars what he was going to do. We think that it's supposed to be this perfect thing where there's no pain and we have everything we want. That's the flesh. That's the sin nature. That's the falsity. That's not true. Is that in Iowa, falsity? Falsity, Iowa. 
Sorry. I don't even know if it's a word. I think I used it before and I did the same joke because that's what it sounds like, Fall City, Iowa. Yeah, that's where we end up, though, falling. When we believe the lies and we feed the flesh instead of trusting the Spirit and being led by like children. Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. So he told him, so what's his plan? After I have been raised, it's verse 28, Jesus says, I will go before you to Galilee. You see this? He always goes before us. He went before us to the cross. He went before us through the pain. He's the forerunner. He's the author and the finisher. He's always in front. He's always leading. And if he's not in front of you and he's not leading you, then you might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You might be going the wrong way. You might be following the wrong voice. He didn't just go to the cross and die and, yea, raise again. But then he said, I'll meet you in Galilee. He told them where to go and what to do and not to be offended and not to flee and not to be scared. He said, just go to Galilee. You know what's important about that? What's funny about that? What's really weird to me about that? Galilee means the heathen circle. That's what the word means. I'm like, come on. You can't make this stuff up. That's where we're supposed to be, witnessing the love of Christ out amongst the heathen in their circle, not practicing what they practice, but telling them about Jesus. It's just really interesting. That type of stuff just blows my brain because, you know, like, like there's people that worship Mary, which is evil, but the, the name Mary means their rebellion. And you would think, since Mary was the mother of Jesus, that it would mean something extravagant like, you know, rose. or, or it, it comes from the word Mara, which means bitter. It's their rebellion. And then Jesus is meeting us in the heathen circle. I just think that's amazing. But notice he didn't leave them blind. He didn't leave them. He knew they were going to be shaken. He knew they were going to be offended. He knew they were going to be given a great cause to stumble. He knew that this was going to shake their faith because they thought he was the Messiah. He knew everything that was going to go on, and he knows what's going on in your life. He doesn't, he doesn't want everything that goes on in your life to happen. But he will allow it, and he will use it. But he never ordains it all the time. Sometimes we cause it. Sometimes we reap what we sow. A lot of it is because of the sin in the world that is just automatically attached to the world, and things are dying. That was not God's will. God's will was that none would perish, and all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. But he leaves us with a choice. Have you chosen your own plan, the world's plan, or are you going to choose God's plan for salvation? Which plan are you on today? See, more people, most people are more worried about their insurance plan than their salvation plan. We spend more time reading our policy to find out if the plan covers such and such or if there's gaps than we do reading the Bible to find out if we're being deceived. Now, I, I understand that it's no fun to find out your insurance plan doesn't cover certain things when it happens, but it's not as important as finding out when you get to the throne room you've been deceived and you've been following the wrong Jesus. And that's why it's so important 
to listen to his word, to read his word, to spend time in his word, because he's told us everything that's going to happen. So he says, after I have been raised, resurrection, the grave couldn't hold him, I will go before you to Galilee. Now what happens? Look at verse 29. The unintended, maybe the leader, Peter, instantly speaks up. And you may also. I've been here. This is what we think, is that I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to do that. Listen to what Peter says. He always puts his foot in his mouth. He's very good at this. Peter said to him, to Jesus, what did he say last time to him? No, not so, Lord. And he said, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter loves to open his mouth, but at least he's opening his mouth. Even if all are made to stumble, or if all are offended, yet I will not be. Look at the pride in this. There's a lot of pride in this. A lot of flesh. A lot of what we talked about last week, not knowing his own heart, because it's God that knows the heart. And he made provision for our heart because our hearts are exceedingly wicked. And he's the only one that can know them and the only one that can purify them and the only one that can change them when we surrender to him. So he says, not I. Jesus said to him, look at the kindness and the love of God. Assuredly, I say to you today. I mean, how could you deny the word of God? He's basically saying, no, nah, I don't believe your word, Jesus. I believe you're the Messiah, and I believe you you come to save the world, and I believe you're going to save it, but I don't believe you. Do you hear what he's saying to him? No, not, not all. Not all, Lord. I'm, I'm strong enough to keep going. We try to, the devil tries to isolate us and then decimate us. That's the end of that story there. He's trying to isolate him to be special and to think that when God says it will happen to all of you, that Peter can say, not me. I remember I'm number one. I stepped out of the boat. Remember, I'm number one. I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I was going to build you a tabernacle. Spiritual pride, maybe. So Jesus says to him, assuredly, I say to you today, not tomorrow, today. It's going to happen today, and he doesn't even know it. See, it's going to be betrayed today, and they don't even know it. They think Judas is off buying some more punch for their party. Even this night, because it's getting ready to get dark, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. No way, Lord! But he spoke more vehemently. It's a hard word to say. Let me look for it here. It means... Superior in quality, super abundantly in quantity. It means excessive. It's his position that he took. He was more, he was more prideful about it. No, Lord. Be very careful when the Lord tells you something's going to happen that you do not be found to argue with him. He is gracious. He says, no, Lord, if I die, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Listen, we will drink the cup. 
we must go to the cross. We must be crucified with Christ and us no longer live. It's the life that we now live in the flesh. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. But that's not what Peter's talking about in the flesh. In the spirit, Paul would say that. In the spirit, we will be crucified. We will die with him if we want to reign with him. But that's not what he's talking about in the flesh. But notice, that I circled it in mind because I think Thomas gets a bad rap because they all believed as Thomas did. And here it says, and they all said likewise. But we tend to focus only on Peter in this. But notice, all of them agreed with the bad leadership of Peter. That's what happens when somebody goes against the word of God and the rest of the people believe them because they're a charismatic leader, they all end up deceived. Isn't that important to know? Peter was disagreeing with the living word of God and everybody agreed with him. Be careful that no one deceive you. Now listen, Jesus doesn't, or uh, excuse me, look at Luke 22. Luke gives us a little bit more. We understand that Luke is a doctor. He's going to give us more about the suffering in the garden too. He gives us, and Luke 22, 31. It says, and this is what the conversation had also in it. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Notice he's calling him Simon and not Peter. We're going to see it in our text in Mark also. He's calling him by the fleshly name, not his new given name in the spirit, not rock. He's calling him Simon, Simon. You know what Simon means? Hearing. Obedient one. It means to hear. It's from a word that means to hear intelligently. He's trying to get his attention. He says it twice. He's saying, listen to me. Listen to me, Simon. Hear. Faith comes by hearing because you know why? The devil is trying to separate you from your faith and get you to act in your emotions and not believe the word of God. Watch this. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Listen to me, because that's what the devil wants to do to all of us. He wants to separate our faith from the word of God. The same way he did the children in the, in the desert in Israel, or in the, in the wilderness, when they were coming through the desert and didn't go into the promised land. They didn't mix the truth with faith. And the devil wants to separate it. He wants you to, to, to follow truth with your own strength, with your own emotions, your own way, and not by faith in what God has already told you, standing strong and obeying even when it hurts. But notice the good news, 32, but I have prayed. Jesus has prayed for you. He prayed for Peter. He prayed for all the other boys, and he prayed for us. It's amazing that, that John 17 gives this where Jesus prays for everybody. Before they go out. In chapter 18 they cross the brook Kadron. We'll go there in a little bit. And you'll see it. Because John names names. He tells us who the names were in this entire scene. But why did Jesus pray for them? That your faith should not fail. Why is that important? Because our walk is a walk of faith. And if it fails we've been deceived. 
We're following the wrong voice. It's our faith that is important in this walk, that we continue to believe in the name of Son of God and continue to pray and watch. And when you have returned, so in other words, he backslid. He had to go away. He was caused to stumble, but he came back. He repented. When you've come back to me, because you don't return or turn to, you always come to a person. Your faith is in a person. It's in God's provision. What does he tell him to do? Strengthen the brethren. Listen, what's going on in your life? What's the pain in your life? What's the struggle in your life? What's the offense in your life where God didn't do what you thought he was going to do? Because God is building your faith. God is squeezing out your, your flesh from you. God wants you to die to yourself and live for him. And so things happen in your life and you're offended and you might not call it offense, but you don't understand and you're a little confused and the devil rushes in and he wants to sift you like wheat and separate you. That's what you do. You toss the grain and it would separate the wheat from the chaff, the fruit from the flesh. And Satan wants to destroy us and separate our entire life from faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Simon literally means hearing or heard. And when you hear, you put your feet upon a rock. And that's what Peter means. But the devil wants to separate us. And he wants us to live in our own strength, in our own power, in our own emotions. He wants us to make our decisions based on fear of man and fear of what's going on. Instead of faith and his provision, Jesus Christ, who's already covered us in his blood, it's already finished, it's a done deal, and he's praying for us. So we need to turn back to him, return to him. Although our emotions may be real, real our fears may be there for a reason, we don't have to follow them. We're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to be in the way with Jesus according to his plan. Not according to your own or man's plan or the world's plan or Satan's plan. Which plan are you following? Where are you leading others? Because Peter led the others to join him. You know, he could have just as easily said, okay, Lord, we'll meet you in Galilee. Don't understand it, but we'll be there. And then everybody would have followed him to Galilee. After Jesus dies in between, before they even know he's resurrected, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he goes back out in the boat fishing. What happens? Everybody follows him. See, it's important that we're careful with our faith because people are following us. People are watching us. People are looking to us. And if the devil can get a leader's faith to be sidetracked and him to make the wrong choices and say no to the word of God, he can get the whole congregation led astray. Look, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But God's praying that we will not, in our emotions, in our fear, in our lives, when bad things happen, stop following his truth. 
Because if you stop following his truth by faith, you're going to end up with man's doctrine of Marxism and socialism and communism. You're going to end up with things that sound good, but they make no sense. They don't line up with the word of God. You're going to have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. And you're going to be twice the sons of hell than you ever were. But in your own heart, you're going to think you're okay. Because self-deception works like that. That's why it's always got to be not emotion and feeling, not the world's intelligence, but the knowledge of God mixed with faith. The word of God with faith. And then Romans 8, 14, being led by the spirit of God. Go before you to Galilee. He will go before us no matter what is going on. He is the forerunner. He's always going to go before us. Are you following? Are you looking to follow? Do you have a heart to follow? Are you crying out to him? Well, where are they going, Greg? Well, then they came, verse 32 of Mark 14, to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch. Listen to me. Peter, James, and John are the three inner circle. They're, they're, they're with him. He left eight of them. Listen, listen, listen. There's 11 left. He left eight of them and told them, sit here while I pray. So they know what he's doing. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places where he's praying from. That's our position. And eight is the number of new beginnings. Listen, I want to tell you that the battle for all of the cross was won at Gethsemane. The battle for your life is going to be won in prayer at Gethsemane. We all go through the Garden of Gethsemane. We've talked about this before. See, Gethsemane means oil press. Oil press. When you're faced with hard things in life, when you're faced with the will of God and the work of God, doing it the way of God, your flesh is going to resist it. Your flesh is not going to want to do it. You're not going to go through this because it's harder this way. And it's easier just to go the way of the world and go to the easy route. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that it's oil pressed because it squeezes out the oil in your life. And isn't that what we want? Oil always represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what the children of God are following. So we want in prayer to squeeze out the oil so that we can see clearly which way to go. Because then we know we're in the way and we're hearing His voice. So when bad things happen, when, when bad struggles come, when it looks like you have to go to the cross and die and choose the will of God, you always want the Holy Spirit to be there. I know we hate pain. I know we hate being squeezed. We're being squeezed right now by the, wor by the world into different boxes. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really, it's really a clever thing that the devil does. He'll, he'll, he'll cause the problem. He'll create the lie. He'll, he'll, he'll create the entire catastrophe, and then he'll tell you where to go. 
All the other Christians are going to this now to look at their news. All the other Christians are going this way now. Everybody's doing this in the church. Everybody's turning to the ESV. Everybody's doing this and that. And then he wants you to follow what he's telling you to do. So what's your plan? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Where is your relationships being built at? These are important questions. Because the oil gets squeezed out when you say, wait a minute. I want to do the will of God. So I'm going to go get alone with God and ask for the strength of God to do the work of God. That's where the Spirit comes out. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. He's our example. His flesh did not want to do it. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. The flesh wanted to some other way. Even with the God-man. In that last hour, the flesh wanted some other way. But notice, and listen with me, that he went for his help in prayer. He looked for his help in prayer. He looked for his help in the throne room, not in the world. He didn't, ask, he didn't ask Peter what his opinion was. Peter would have said, don't go to the cross. He already had to rebuke him for having the devil's will at mind because he didn't know the truth. He had to go to the Father. He had to go in prayer. He had to go to, to for strengthening because the devil really attacked him. I believe the devil was so strong and so real in the Garden of Gethsemane. And notice this, in the press, that's where the battle was won. See, when you're a young lady and you're in the back seat of, with a teenager of a car, and he's wanting to force you into sex or, or, or kissing and stuff. That's not the place the battle is won. You'll never win the battle with your hands in the cookie jar. You have to make the decision beforehand that you're going to follow the will of God before you ever get into the place. That's why today he is preparing you for tomorrow. Do I know what tomorrow is going to happen? Do I know what they're going to do? Do I know what they're going to do? Well, I know that they got plans to tear down the walls on the southern border that Trump built. I know that they got plans to take all your guns. I know they got plans to shut down all the businesses and everything and to control your life because that's what the devil wants to do. I know that he's got plans to, to separate you and keep you from truth and then decimate you. But he can't keep you from prayer he can't keep you from the word of God if you've been hiding it in your heart if you're preparing yourself today and watching and praying he's got no part of you he can't get you if you keep your eyes fixed in the right place it doesn't matter what he does if they hold you down and strap you down and shoot the, uh, the, the, the vaccine into you it doesn't matter if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you're going to be okay. You'll cross the finish line. You'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But talking about all these other things instead of telling people about their hope being in Jesus is what the devil wants us to do. It's his word that sets people free. It's his word that we need to be talking about. It's his word we need to be hiding in our heart. It's in prayer that we need to be in the oil press so the Holy Spirit will squeeze out his strength into our life and not our own. 
And I'm preaching to myself more than you, and I really like to be able to tell myself the truth of God's Word. So whether you hear it or not, I hear it. Whether you follow it or not, I'm going to strive to surrender with everything in me to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me in this way. But it would be great if you would hear it and be led to the throne room of God. They're in Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, eight of them, stay here. It's a little farther away from Gethsemane. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. We can't even understand these words. These are are, 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 um, words that are, it says, sore amazed and heavy in the King James but, but he's grieved intensely and very sorrowful. He's distressed in his mind and there's heaviness. And he's greatly afraid even, it says. One of the words, the word here for sore, amazed, or troubled means to be a fright. I mean, th- your flesh can do that, but when you appropriate truth, you cast that away. And that's what he does. He cast it away. 34 says, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. See, that the cross is won here in Gethsemane. The will of God is won when you fight the battle that's going on. And he says, stay here and watch. He wants them to see what's going on. He wants them to watch. The word watch again means to keep awake, to be vigilant, to be watchful. He has left us here as the church, as his bride, to watch, to stay awake. What's the enemy doing? He wants us to go to sleep. He wants us to apostatize, to be offended that God hasn't taken us home yet, to be offended that God is not helping us, to be offended that bad things would happen when the way of the cross is salvation. If God would allow his own son to go through such shame and pain and suffering for us, how do we think that we would ever escape it? Especially when the Bible says, through much suffering shall you enter the kingdom of God. That's how the Holy Spirit comes out. It's squeezed out in the oil press. They say that Gethsemane is a really drab place. It's really ugly today. Dirt. Did you guys go to it? One commentary said that the the actual place where the garden's at is probably not even the true place. But there's only like six really old Thousands of years old uh, olive trees or something, whatever they are, bushes, trees. And uh, anyway, they just said it looks really, really ugly, dry and drab. And I don't know. 35 says, and he went a little farther and fell on the ground. Notice his position as he prayed. Notice that the biggest thing that's going to happen in his life, for this purpose I came. To go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. To be the Lamb of God. He just gave thanks to God for it up in the upper room when they were celebrated. But now he has to walk through it. That's the through principle of the Bible. You can't get around it. You have to go through the will of God. He falls prostrate on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour, this cup might pass from him. It's possible. See, he knows that God has the power, but is there any other way? All things are possible with God, but he says, is it possible? 
for you. Take this cup away from me. And then here is his spirit. Nevertheless, not what I will. That's, that's, that's crucifying the flesh. Saying no to the flesh. Not what I will, but what you will. This is the life of a Christian. I want to go do this. I want to have fun. I want to live in my emotions. I deserve a break today. I, and that's the plan of the devil. That's the plan of the world. That's your plan. But you must choose the will of God. And it's not always good. It's always good for you. We covered Hebrews 12 last study, I think. It would do you good to go look at that again, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Christ went before us. We're supposed to lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us and look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who but for the, the, despised the shame, he counted it joy, but despised the shame of the cross and has sat down. He resurrected. He got up. He sat down at the right hand of God. See, you're... Praying will destroy the flesh. God's will will destroy the fleshly will. It's the most important thing you're ever going to do is get the perspective of God. Pray is, is worship to God, worshiping his will, worshiping what he's called, worshiping what he's ordained. It doesn't mean that you like what he's using, but you know that he has good for you. He has the best for you. He gave us his only begotten son. And if he thinks we need to go through some other kind of pain, some other suffering, some other heartache, some other separation, then he, you should not be offended by it. You should glory in it. You should count it joy. Because on the other side, it's going to bring out the work of the Holy Spirit in you as it presses out the flesh and it brings out the character and the nature of Jesus Christ who learned perfect obedience through the things that he suffered on the cross. But what happened while well, he told them to watch? 37, it says, he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, notice it's got Peter's name there, which means rock, Simon, are you sleeping? He called him his old name, Simon, which means heard. Remember that? Hearing. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why do we watch and pray? Why do we try to keep our eyes on the will of God? Why are we praying? Why are we spending time in the word prayer and fellowship? So that we don't enter into temptation. What's the temptation? To be removed from faith and to follow the world and the spirit of the world. The temptation is to disobey God. And it's easy to say, I'm not asleep. Really? Really? Temptation means adversity or solicitation to do evil. It's actually a putting to proof. And then he says, the spirit indeed is ready. 
I know your King James or whatever you're reading now, your new King James says willing. But really the old King James says the spirit is ready. The spirit is predisposed to follow the spirit of God. It's the flesh that gets in the way. That's what he's saying here. That's how it was easy for Jesus. He said no to his flesh. Oh, it was hard. Luke says he sweated great drops of blood. We're not going to go there. He wasn't just praying. He wasn't just there in the garden agonizing over the fact that he had to go to cross. It said he sweated great drops of blood. Only Luke gives us that because Luke is a doctor. Think about that. And it's an actual condition that they say very rarely happens, but it's called hematidrosis. Where when you have such uh, 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 emotions going on and such strain and you have to go through it and you go through it, that it makes the capillaries or something in your, in your sweat glands burst and you bleed through your sweat glands because of the stress and the strain that is upon you. Anybody ever agonism I'd like that because of something God asked you to do because of pain and suffering very few people has it ever happened to that would be crazy to sweat like that when fighting with the devil but I'm telling you here now people when we're standing and we're praying and we're watching it's the blood of Jesus that should come out of us. It's the blood of Jesus that's going to be our strength. It's the blood of Jesus that's going to get us through. It's the blood of Jesus that is the answer. And it was one in his Gethsemane. When he sweated those drops of blood, it was just a foretaste of him going to the cross and pouring out his blood for the sins of the world that we now are covered in. The spirit indeed is willing or ready. I believe our spirit, which is married to God's spirit, is willing and ready to follow the spirit of God. But our fleshly desires, if we do not deny them, they're weak. They're inept. They're not ready. They're strengthless. They're feeble. They're impotent. Listen, this is what happens with Peter. Even if I have to die, I'll follow you. We'll go too. And then they all deny him. We're going to see in a minute. Because the flesh is weak it has no strength to follow jesus nothing good can happen in the flesh you can only do this surrendering to the work of the holy spirit this can only happen following the will of god can only happen when you and i by faith get into the word prayer and fellowship when we surrender what our plans are what our ideas are what our strength is and we know that there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh and that we have to allow our spirit to be counseled by God's Spirit and follow the counsel. Obey. See, that's what happened in the garden with original sin. Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with God and they were spirit, soul, and body. Their spirit was willing. Their spirit was ready. Their spirit was following God until they heard something that deceived them and tempted them. And they took their eyes off of watching and they got flipped upside downward to body, soul, then spirit is last. But when Christ gives us salvation, it flips us back up to where we have all the ability to follow. The spirit is ready. 
The spirit is married once again to God. It's our flesh that we have to put to death. It's our desires, our ways, which are being led by the world and by the Satan and by every other plan instead of the truth of God's word. So how do we discern it? How do we squeeze out what the spirit's doing? We go to prayer in our garden of Gethsemane. We go looking for God's will. And we do the natural until he shows us what he's doing. That's all I've been praying here lately is, how do we posture ourselves, Lord? What do we do in these times? They're coming after the church, make no mistake. I'm not going to try to make this soft and easy for you. And, and you're going to either be Judas or a Peter when this comes. Your plan might be to follow Jesus, but if you make some plan of how you're going to get out of this, you're going to be a Judas. You're going to betray him. See, Judas planned to get the money. The other guys, they planned to follow Jesus, and it happened to them. So there was repentance found in their life. They could return. But Judas, there was no repentance. There was only remorse. And he knew that he had betrayed innocent blood, and he went out and killed himself. He hung himself from a tree. He had planned to betray Christ. Are your plans to follow the will of God? Are you planning even in the flesh? Because then there's room for repentance, to return to him. But when you plan to follow the world and your plan is, I'm going to do what the world's doing and just call myself a Christian, that's a deceiving plan of the devil. You can't have two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. Which one are you hating today? Which one are you loving? Which plan are you following? How is your relationship going with God? Are you learning to hear what he's saying? Do you see what's coming down the pike in the world today? Are you even concerned? Are you sleeping? They couldn't, they, listen, listen, we're in good company. They were asleep. They couldn't watch for one hour. You know why? Because they're in the flesh. Anytime you're in the flesh, you're going to be sleepy. You're going to want to sleep if you're in the flesh. If you're looking at the world and all the storm, it's going to make you want to be sleepy. But if you're looking to have the oil pressed out, you're going to have energy, supernatural spiritual energy. Now, I know there's some people that might be sleepy because of a medical condition. I'm not talking about that. There could be a medical condition. But they can't handle the stress here. They can't handle it because they're in the flesh. They're looking to obey and follow Christ in the flesh, and they couldn't even watch him pray for an hour without falling asleep. 39 says, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. So if I read those other verses over again, that's exactly what he went back and said to the Father. The same thing. I know all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Paul said that about his thorn in the flesh. He asked God, and God said his grace was sufficient, so he moved on. See, this is how the Spirit is squeezed out. Jesus is going to come back again. Look, 
And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. They didn't know how to answer him. They couldn't answer him at all. They were asleep again. Another hour, and they're asleep again. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Let me ask you that question today. Are you really still sleeping and resting in this hour? Are you sleeping and resting, taking your ease? Are you still concerned about entertainment and the American dream and the things that are going on when we see such evil on the world today? Really? That's a decision of the flesh. If we're still asleep, if this doesn't shake the church awake, nothing will. And Jesus said, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man, that's a messianic term, is being betrayed into the hands of sinners, those who missed the mark. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Almost as if he went like this, and you could see the torches in the distance. And he went like this, that the betrayer is at hand. They're in the garden, and here they come. Here comes Judas with a detachment of troops. And immediately, while he was still speaking, he's still speaking today, guys and gals. Could happen just as fast. Are you sleeping? Are you resting? Are you taking your ease? Do you know that, that once you get up and you decide to do the will of God, the Holy Spirit will give you supernatural energy to go out and do what you're called to do? If you choose the will of God, if you choose to go into Gethsemane, if you choose to pray and watch, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will give you all. Because the Spirit is willing. It's the flesh that is weak. You have to crucify the flesh. Get past the flesh. Stop listening to yourself and begin to listen to the voice of God. He's still speaking today, and he wants you to hear his voice and follow him. As he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, staves it's called in the King James, came from the chief priest. They've been sent by the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. Isn't that interesting to you? He's been three and a half years running around the city. Everybody talking about him. Everybody pointing at him. People tried to arrest him. The, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, everybody's arguing with him. And yet they need somebody to point him out? Again, if he would have looked like the pictures that the Catholics make up, he just said, get the one that's glowing, that's got the halo around his head. Just get that one. He needed somebody. They needed somebody to show him who he was because there was no comeliness about him. You couldn't distinguish from who he was. He looked just like everybody else. It was his words that set him apart. It was the truth that set him apart. It was doing the will of God that set him apart. It was his obedience to God that set him apart. It was he was the Messiah that set him apart. He was obeying God. He looked just like everybody else. 
So they needed someone to lead them to him. They needed somebody to betray him. And in an intimate place, this is the place where they would always go intimately as the 12 and as Jesus. And he was teaching them and leading them. And they were always there in the garden. It's across from Bethany where he would go with Lazarus and Mary and um, Martha. And Judas brings this detachment of troops, this army, into their intimate place. And kisses him. Betrays him with a kiss. You know, you can only be betrayed by somebody who's close. Do you know that? It only hurts when they're close. Well, I don't care what they say about me. I don't even know them. But when somebody close to you says something about you, you feel the pangs of betrayal. My own familiar friend whom I have broken bread with. They've ate meals together. And we see the emotion of God. We see the heart of God. He's been betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. So he gives him a signal so he can get his money. What's your plan? As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Do you see the significance? No one can call him Lord except by the Spirit of God. He just calls him teacher, teacher, master, master. He doesn't call him kurios. Who do you think that he is? What do you call him? Do you call him the good old boy upstairs? Or do you get on your face in prayer and know that he knows everything. That he knows your inmost parts. He knew you before you was in your mother's womb. He's got good for you. He died for you. He saved you. He wants to get you across the finish line. He knows what the Gethsemane is. He knows how to, to bring you across and get you through. Is he your Lord? Or is he just some words on a page? Is it just some religious practice where I get up and get ready and go to church? Or is there a true relationship where you understand that he's the creator of the universe and he spoke and created you? And then he came and died and saved you if you believe, if you trust in it. Or you just wanted to get a hand out. Is it just the 30 pieces of silver you're interested in? Some earthly government leading you around by the nose? He gave them the signal. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. One of the texts says, Jesus standing in control. We know he's in control right now. They couldn't have taken him unless he let. Says, he says to him, he steps forward and says, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they all fell down. The whole group of them just fell straight down because he said, I am. Ego ami. The great I am. Listen, nobody arrested Jesus. Nobody took Jesus without him allowing it. He decided to do the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're indestructible 
until God is finished with you. You're indestructible. If you're going to decide to do the will of God, He's going to give you the power and the strength and the might and the ability to walk it out. Man can't do anything to you. Greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. You do not have to be afraid. There's power in His Word. There's power in keeping His Word. There's power in sharing His Word. And He's your only hope. They got back up. They should have crawled away. If somebody said, I am, and you got knocked down, you should have crawled away. Quickly. Do you remember the other time they sent soldiers to arrest him? And they come back with no Jesus. And they're like, what's going on? He said, nobody ever spoke like that before. They come back delirious. They couldn't arrest him. They said, nobody ever spoke like that. And then it was over. The whole conversation's over with. They're like, oh, okay. Wasn't his hour yet. See, he's in complete control. He knows what the governments are doing today. He knows what the devil is doing. He allows them. He's laughing at them. He's holding them in derision. They're not going to do anything that he does not allow them to do. Did he want them to do any of this? No, but he has to set this plan in motion in his sovereignty in order for it all to be finished and once and for all say there is no wisdom or counsel against God. You can't defeat him. You can't overthrow him. But you can trust him. Pray and watch. If you're asleep, get up and begin praying. Begin watching. You don't have to stay asleep. If you arise, Christ will give you light. And then he will see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then you should be, always be, being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's what we're called to do. But we are called to follow God. And to watch and pray. In prayer you will receive a heavenly perspective. So they laid their hands on him. I'd like for him to lay his hands on me. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against robbers with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Notice what he points to. Notice what he was doing in the temple. He was teaching truth. And then he says, Scripture has to be fulfilled. Well, what scriptures all of this? Well, it started all the way back in 315. That's to strike the shepherd. Scattered. God knew all this was going to happen. He's allowed it. He's brought us a Redeemer, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Have you received this gift? Are you opening it? Are you enjoying it? Are you walking in it? Are you spending time in prayer? And are you being watchful for Him and doing the work of the ministry because of Him and through His strength and power and might? Listen, Scripture is going to be fulfilled regardless of what you do. He's faithful. He cannot deny Himself. 
Look what they did. Then they all, get a calculator, they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. Didn't, isn't that what he said in 27? Verse 27, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Listen, he already knows what's going to happen 2 o'clock this afternoon. Look to him in prayer, watching, working, waiting for his glorious appearing. Now, if you look at John 18, I'm not going to. I was going to. For the sake of time, I won't. John 18, 1 through 11 tells you that it was Peter who drew the sword. It was Peter, who's a fisherman, not a swordsman, cut off the ear of Malchus. Your name is given, Malchus. In fact, it's interesting that Malchus means king. Isn't that interesting? He's a servant of the high priest, and his name means king. And he cut off his ear. Interesting to me. Notice that in the flesh, as Peter stood there, not understanding what was going on still with the devil controlling him, he's trying to do the will of God as Jesus rebuked him for. Get behind me, Satan. He tries to thwart the plan of God with a sword. He tries to stop it. When God's the one that said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. They scattered. They fled. And a certain young man followed him. A certain young man followed him. Notice he was following. Having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man laid hold of him and left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Even in his nakedness, he fled. Now, that, I believe it's John Mark. Not anyone else but John Mark. He was very young. Probably loved to be around the disciples. I think it was John Mark. And uh, even if you have to be completely naked and open before the Lord, that's a good thing. That's what the Spirit of God already sees you as anyway. You cannot cover your actions. If you're sleeping, if you're apostate, if you've been offended, if you're fleeing from the Lord, you cannot hide it from God. Where can you go from his spirit? Return to God and do the first works. Surrender before him. Get into word, prayer, and fellowship. Listen, if you're not starting your day in prayer, if you're not starting, and, and again, I'm not being a legalist, I think you start your day in prayer. You have to get there first, alone with God in your Gethsemane, and have to declare, I'm going to do the will of God today. I want the Spirit to lead me today. Then when you go out in public, you don't deny God when you do that. But if you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll flee from the witness that you're supposed to be given. You'll flee just as these did in the flesh. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Are you going to be led by the Spirit? Your Spirit married to God's Spirit doing the will of God? It's not going to be fun sometimes. It hurts sometimes. What's your plan? God's plan or some other plan? 
if it's not God's plan, it's going to end bad. And listen, he sits on a throne of grace, throne of mercy, meeting out grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And, and the Bible says that God's mercy endures forever. It does, but not to all people. Listen to me. Because many people think that, oh, well, you know what? I can keep living the way I'm living, and the grace of God's sufficient. Mercy will cover me. Not always. It didn't happen with Pharaoh. There was a time when God gave up on Pharaoh. His mercy endures forever for those who love him, those who surrender to him. And you can't get rid of his mercy. It's one of his qualities. But he's not going to always extend it to those who continue to reject him and disobey him. Saved by faith through grace, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. What's your plan? You following God's good works? Or are you doing your own thing and saying, ah, God will take care of the rest. I believe that the fire that's turned up as the, as the power of evil has been set loose in America and in the world is to separate the sheep from the goats. It's to separate those who have faith from those who don't have faith. And I believe we need to wake up today and stop sleeping and watch and pray. It's time to rise up and stand up and not shut up. And to tell people even more today about Jesus. Because they need that hope. I don't know if you've been doing that, but there's been at least two people just this week that said to me, yeah, I know I've been praying about that and I know I need to return to God. He's been speaking to me. And now you come walking in and it's not by accident. See, people are looking for hope and they're saying, should I go back to God or should I go here or where should I go? And you can be that living witness today that points them directly to the blood of the cross of Calvary. Father, thank you for your word. Give us a desire to follow your plan of salvation, to be delivered by your Messiah, and not to be deceived by the Antichrist. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Give us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, because we know that in America today, there's a great spirit of heaviness, even upon your church. But Lord, we pray for the peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we thank you that you will help us to pray and watch. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. 
Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I